All right, my name's uh, Matt Lilly. If we've never met before, it's great having you here. And uh, welcome again to our, our official, official kickoff in the new venue. Hey, just with the Bouncy Castle kids, uh, only kids under about 94 years of age are allowed on the bounce on the big one. So as long as you take your shoes off and you act kid-like, you can uh, you get, get into it. So, um, so it's not our first Sunday here at Oriel College, but we are sort of celebrating being here today. We, we've done a couple of Sundays already, just trying to uh, sort out a few wrinkles, and there's still a few wrinkles uh, to go. Um, just look around. Uh, and, um, but no, what? Just, no, just, what? Just, just little things we're still getting sorted, so. I don't know what you were thinking. Um, but if you're here for the first time, so good to have you here. Welcome. And uh, we're kicking off a new series today, and which we're pretty uh, stoked about. And our series is called A Guide to Knowing God. It sounds a little bit presumptuous, doesn't it? That like we're going to tell you everything that you need to know about knowing God. But uh, God is, is, is even beyond us really knowing uh, him, we can know him to some degree. So we're going to be talking a little bit about the things that are, uh, are helpful and uh, things that God has revealed to us uh, of himself that will help us um, in your journey of faith. And if you're here today and you're just um, exploring this whole thing of faith, uh, we're so glad you're here and we hope that we get to join you in that journey and um, it'll, be, it'll be great. Uh, so we're going to kick off today. If you like today, um, maybe next week, you know, bring a friend along and uh, someone that you think that this might be helpful for them as, you know, uh, as they are on their journey of getting to know God. So I read a, um, an article just this week by uh, a CNN reporter, actually, and a lady called Kelly Wallace, and she does, did this whole thing around she was asking kids all sorts of questions about, about God. And, um, and some of the answers... Or that she got was, uh, there's one answer that was from a uh, young chap, Ethan, called Eight. He said this, says, God doesn't have a house. He doesn't need one except on Sundays because that's the day he likes to rest. <laughs> there's another chap called Manny. He was six. And, uh, and he, said, he said, my mum talks to God when we need more money. <laughs> and I, that's fair enough. Um... I found a bunch of prayers that, that kids have written that, uh, and it sort of reflects their, you know, how they know God. And um, here's one prayer says, by this is from a young girl called Nancy. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love the whole world. There are only four people in my family and I can never do it. <laughs> There's another girl called Joyce and she prayed this. She says, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. <laughs> it's from like young boy called Donnie. Dear God, is Reverend Co a friend of yours or do you just know him through the business? <laughs> it's from Anita. Dear God, is it true my father won't get in heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? Dear God, this is from Larry, a little lad. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other if they had each had their own rooms. That works for me and my brother. <laughs> and this is from another young girl. Uh, Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was it an accident? <laughs> 
Isn't it interesting just the way people see things about God? And we're going to be uh, starting off our series today, and we've called it Misconceptions. And uh, we'll look at a few things that uh, some people believe about God that, and have seemed to have found their way into like movies and TV and just lots of people that perhaps aren't people of faith, but this is just what they think because this is what's been thrown towards them. And um, I've been running this without this over my ear. Have you been struggling to get good sound? Watch this. Hello. We like to um, run these little tests for our sound people. They, uh, they didn't actually pass that one, so... Why does that sound so bad? Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's my wrinkles. <laughs> it was sounding so good in the sound check, too. So. It just went like, did you see me? It's like, there's nothing around my ear. All right, we're back. Okay, where are we up to? Looking at misconceptions about God. And uh, we're just going to talk about a few things. We could do a list that would be very long and afterwards you might go like, oh, why didn't you talk about that? And I go, well, because you're cleverer than me. And, but there's a few that we're, we're going to look at. And so let's see how we go. I'd just love to pray. And um, I know that God's presence here, but I'd just love to pray that, uh, um, that God would give us something that's going to help us take us forward in our journey. Of faith, so Father, we just welcome you here. You know, and you, we know that you're here, but we know too that you, when your spirit comes and in in different ways, God, it can just make such a powerful difference in our lives. And we just pray for that this morning, God, that even just as we've worshipped you and you, we've, we've experienced your presence here, you continue to be present, and that if there are things that are uh, that we have grabbed a hold of that have been unhelpful in how we know you, God. I pray that you would just give us some eyes to see truth this morning, eyes to see truth, and that you'd continue to, to be with us as we journey towards truth and more and more into the fullness of knowing you and loving you. Amen. All right, here's one that we'll start off with, and that's uh, is a misconception, is that science has proved that there is no God. So a lot of people think that science has proved that there's, there's no God. There's a, um, there was a guy back in the uh, 17th century, I think, maybe 16th century, 17th century, Galileo Galilei. So if your surname was Galilei, would you call your kid Galileo? It's like just setting him up for like, not doing so well at school with his friends. But uh, he was a genius. And, uh, but he was accused of being a heretic by the, by the church in 1616 when he suggested that the earth wasn't the center of the universe and that the earth is orbiting the sun. Found guilty of heresy. Heresy is uh, things that are uh, not true in terms of faith. Uh, so the church found him guilty of heresy. Don't you dare be saying those things. And he spent the rest of his life under house arrest. And uh, the church has made lots of statements over the, over the years, over the centuries, that have been discovered to be not true. Does that mean that science has proved that there's no God? No, it just means that the church has got it wrong. And we've discovered things. Sometimes when science discovers new things... We have to adjust our understanding about God. 
Now, I know that there's lots of thinking around creation. I know that there'll be some people here that would say that uh, the world was created in six days. As it says in the Bible, there'll be some that believe that the world was created, you know, started with a big bang 16 billion years ago. And, and, um, and choosing one or the other doesn't mean that you're having to choose between God and science. Could God have initiated the Big Bang if that had in fact happened? Um, yes, he could have done that. Of course he could have done that. Um, choosing one another doesn't mean that you have to choose between faith or science. Have we evolved or have we created? Uh, have we, were we created? Maybe evolution is one of God's great creations, part of God's great creation. You see, I'm very deliberately not saying, like, I believe this and I believe this, eh, because I don't want to get into any fights. So. But uh, I've read a great book called The Language of God uh, by a chap called Francis Collins. And uh, he's a scientist and a Christian. And he was the head of the Human Genome Project, which was the project that uh, was an international project of uh, um, scientists from all around the world and uh, which was mapping DNA. Three billion, I've got to get this word here, I knew I'd forget it. Nucleotides. Three billion nucleotides. I think those are the things, you know, the spirals and the things that join things. So, um, doctors in the, out there laughing at me. Um, so um, he mapped, the, he was head of, head of the project that mapped that whole thing. And uh, the more he discovered in DNA, the more it just confirmed to him how absolutely there must be an intelligent creator behind, behind this. And he, in the book, he talks about biology, he talks about astrophysics, talks about psychology, he just talks about all of these things of science that just point to like, of course there is a creator. Of course there is a creator. So science does more to prove that there is a God than vice versa. So... Misconception. Science has proved that there is no God. Okay, here's another one. Misconception about God. God is angry. God is angry. Here's another um, little prayer from Mikey, who's age six. Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. I really am. Is it true you'll send me to hell forever when I grow up? You know, one of the... Um, famous and quite great American revivalist preachers of the 18th century and who was part of the big great awakening throughout the whole of the states in that time. It was a, uh, a guy called Jonathan Edwards. And you know, his most famous sermon is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it scared people, scared people so much that they said, I've got to get my lives right with God. But it's so in some ways it's helpful, but in many ways too, it's been very unhelpful. It's, it's started this whole thing of like, it's like God is just always angry. He's angry with me, angry with us. And here's the thing. It's like God, God does hate sin, but he loves sinners. He loves sinners. Our, our scriptures will tell us that God does get angry, but he does take a while to get there. It takes him a long time to get angry. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. C.S. Lewis is a you know, great Christian author. Um, 
It's not really a, a real sermon if we don't quote C.S. Lewis sometime in it, so that's not true. But, um, but he wrote the Narnia Chronicles, and uh, the most famous one being The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in the Narnia Chronicles, uh, there is the lion called Aslan. And Aslan is a representation of Jesus. The whole, all of these, the Narnia books, they're, they're pictures of, of Jesus and life and faith and, 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 and seeking God. And uh, they're wonderful. And uh, so it's the lion represents Jesus. And there's a scene in the lion, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe where Susan is talking to Mr. Beaver. And uh, here's how it goes. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You know, God is kind, but he's not soft. He is love but he is not weak. It's an interesting thing that I see a lot in, particularly in Kiwi culture, um, not so much in other cultures, but then even more in, in other cultures, but where when someone tells us that we're doing something wrong or that we've done something wrong, we kind of tack onto that, they don't like me. And yet, for people telling us they're doing something wrong, that's a helpful thing. Um, sometimes people aren't very good at doing it, um, and it can, can be hard to take. But, uh, but we sort of tack this thing on when uh, we go, like, oh, they don't like me, they're cross with me. And they're just saying, like, no, no, you haven't done this right. And it's very easy for us to take that with us into our relationship with God, because we know that we do things wrong. You know, we get to the end of the week and we go like, yeah, there was a few good things I did, but then, oh, you know, that didn't go so well. And I kind of tripped up there and I've been trying not to do that and I just kind of did it. And, um, and so we know we've done things that are wrong and we know that God knows these things as well. And so we know that God sees the things that we're done wrong and we sort of lean into this thing, well, you know, because we do things that he doesn't want us to do, that he's angry with us. He's angry with us. No, 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 misconception, misconception. God loves us. And he always, he's always welcoming us with open arms. Oh, you tripped up. Come on. Let me pick you up, dust you off. Off we go again. We can see this. Jesus talked about the heart of God in the story of the prodigal son. And it's, uh, it's a story where there were two sons and one of them said, I want my inheritance now, um, which is basically saying, like, I'd rather, Dad, you were dead. Uh, I want my inheritance now. And off he went and squandered it all in wild living. And, um, and then a few years later, he sort of comes back nervously thinking that the father is going to be like, my son's an idiot. And the father sees him far off and runs to him. Wide open arms, celebrating my son is back. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. So 
Don't be thinking that God is angry. His arms are wide open to all of us. Here's another misconception. God will love you when you get yourself sorted out. I hear this all the time. I say, hey, why don't you come on to church? Oh, I couldn't come to church. I was like, why not? Why? Yeah, I was just like, haven't quite, you know, this, I haven't quite got my stuff together and I couldn't go to church. You know, there's this, there's this perception that people think that everyone in the church, they're all holy. I should just take a photo now and show them. It's like, no, no, it's just us, you know? <laughs> they, but they've got this perception that, like, oh, everyone's got their lives sorted out, or we've got their act together, they're all holy. If I go there, it'll look, I'll just stand out like a big black stain on a snowy field. You know, I just, I couldn't go, I couldn't go. It's a misconception that people think that God will only love us when we get our life sorted out. But God loves you as you are. Listen to what Paul the Apostle is writing to the church in Rome. He says this, Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God demonstrating his love for us. Jeremiah 31.3, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Again, this letter to the church in Rome uh, from the message version of the Bible, Romans 2 verse 4. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. He just says, like, come as you are. Just come as you are. God initiates, we respond. Come as you are, you are loved. But then his follow-up invitation is, but don't stay as you are because you are loved. Here's another one that's kind of the other, like the flip side of that last one, that God will love you when you get yourself sorted out. It's this misconception that people think that living right will get me on God's good side. Living right will get me on God's good side. That what you do will affect how much God likes you. You know, the more good things I do, get some points on the board, you know, the celestial scoreboard, and uh, you'll score more points with God. You know, I'm going to bring the pastor an apple today and, you know, get some points. And, you know, this is the basis for many religions. It's just earning your way. Earning your way. Earn your way to God and to glory. You know, be, be kind and you may come back as a cat instead of a slug. Again, Paul. This, this wonderful book of Romans in the Bible that uh, where Paul is... is it's, further on in his journey of faith and he's just giving the church here's what I understand about our life in God and he lays it all out Romans 1 to 8 it's, it's just wonderful I encourage you to read it over and over in Romans chapter 3 he says this just about this whole thing of like this misconception of living right will get me on God's good side he says this righteousness the righteousness that we we have as, as Christians this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Nothing in there about what I do. 
There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Just a gift to us. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Our standing before God is not based on works, what we do for God, but we are made right before God by grace, by his, just his kindness to us as we say, God, I want to step towards life in you. Forgive me, accept me, love me. And he says, of course, come, let's, let's go. Let's do, this. let's do this together. Okay, here's a good one that uh, you'll probably hear often, a misconception about God. God's ways take the fun out of life. There's a genius movie that I'm sure that most of you will have seen, Forrest Gump. And uh, it's a funny old movie, the way it just rolls along. And uh, if you've seen it, he, Forrest is a, a, a relatively straightforward person. Uh, and he, um, he's got a very simple outlook in life. Now, the, the, the genius of this movie, it's, just an, it's like an exaggerated picture of teaching us the way to a good life. But movies, it's kind of exaggerated. And here's what I mean. It's like Forrest, he just has this simple outlook on life. He's just looking to do right, looking to help people, and just doing well with whatever he finds in front of him. Just looking at doing well with whatever he finds in front of him. And it's an exaggerated story because he ends up meeting presidents and everything, you know, gets famous and makes a huge amount of money and, um, and good things happen. But the big contrast in the movie is his friend Jenny. And she looks like the cool, the cool Jenny, you know, it's set back in the 60s or 70s, and she's kind of the cool hippie. And, but then she goes off, she's looking for the good life, and she goes off looking for, in it at looking for it in all of these places. She goes looking for it in sleeping around. She goes looking for it in drugs. She goes looking for it in just leaving the people she loves and just going all around, just looking and looking and looking. And what we see in the movie, and again, it's an exaggerated picture, but it's a picture that is, 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 reflects reality, is that Forrest's life was a great life and Jenny's life led to death. And we see that in, um, in the teachings of the scripture that there is one path that leads to life and there's one path that leads to death. And yet the, the spirit of this age and probably of many ages will tell us like, no, the fun is to be had in these things. And it kind of, we can easy to get sucked into it, but a lot of those things lead to death. Or they, when I say death, I mean you lose the fullness of life that you can, that is on offer to us. It's true that God gives us guidelines on how to live, but not to curb our enjoyment, but to keep us safe and lead us into real joy and real peace and real contentment. Let's talk about sex. 
All right. I wasn't looking at you. It's my wife, just in case you were like, wondering what that little exchange was there. Okay, the Bible has a lot to talk about sex. talks about a lot. Jesus talked about right sexual behavior. And, but God's words to us in the Bible will tell us that sex without commitment and in- intimacy, it's just not right. It's not to stop you having fun, but it's to stop you from hurting yourself and from hurting others and you know, read in the, in the scriptures, and the Message Bible puts it great. It says, like, sex is so much more than just skin on skin. Your body's sacred. And with sex, there's this connection that happens. It's like it's, it's, there's physical connection, there's emotional connection, there's spiritual connection. It's, it's deep connection. And there's just this incredible vulnerability around it. And, uh, and if sexual connection is just casual or... Not, not connected to commitment uh, or a relationship ends. There's just this pulling apart that is just, it just is, it's brutal. Even if it's just casual stuff, there is still this connection and a pulling apart that is just damaging on so many levels in, in terms of who we are. You know, we've all seen broken hearts and broken lives that comes from infidelity. And, uh, you know, and there's collateral damage to kids and health and finances. And, you know, God created us. He's all-knowing and he knows what things are good for us and what things are bad for us in the long run. And this, reading the scriptures, it helps us choose behaviors which are good for us and avoid those which are bad for us. Now, the hard thing is, is that, we get sucked into thinking that the good life is the things that's going to make me feel good right now. And, uh, and that's just, it's short-term thinking. And you, if you live life like that, you're going to get short-term gain and long-term pain. A lot of things that feel good in the moment actually steal from us having a good life. Have you heard about the, the seven deadly sins? I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about seven deadly sins, but like someone did sometime and it seems to have caught on. So um, pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. And these are just like excessive versions of things. When you look at it, they're just excessive versions of things that are actually okay in, in small amounts of moderation. Um, that excessive versions of things that we are made to be passionate for, but they are deadly when they're in, in, in excess and they'll kill a good life. I know that for me, like, um, as a relatively um, naive and um, ignorant 16-year-old, one thing that I did was I, I came to a point where I was like, if I'm going to be a, a person of faith, if I'm going to follow God, I'm going to give it everything. And I'm going like, to read the Bible and whatever it says, this is wisdom, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to believe it and do it. And a lot of things I just did without really knowing, like, I don't know if this is, like, why this is a good thing or not, but it just says so in the Bible, so I'm just going to do it. And then, like, I see, like, 10 years, 15 years later, I'd see other people that would choose different paths, and I could go, oh, I can see, I can see it now. I can see the wisdom of the Scriptures. I can see the wisdom of God's teaching here as, as I watched other people's lives head down paths that, were, that took them backwards in terms of finding the good life. So it's a misconception that God's ways take the fun out of life. 
If you're looking for just that deep, good life, a life that's full of peace and joy, the good things, live God's ways. Here's another one, another misconception. God wouldn't forgive what I have done. I heard about forgiveness, but God wouldn't forgive what I've done. I've got a friend who's killed someone. And uh, on purpose. And he just doesn't believe that God can forgive him. And uh, all I can do is to say this, which I'm going to say to you guys. It's like we're, you know, we're coming up to Easter, what, a couple of weeks? I think a couple of weeks is Easter. And Easter is celebrating this the, it's a wonderful celebration of the resurrected Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead, which means so much because of it gives us hope for eternal life. It, it, uh, so much. But when Jesus was being crucified on Easter Friday, he's hanging on a cross. We read about two others that were crucified and with at the same time. In Matthew 27, it says that two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And he says this about them. He says, in the same way the rebels, so people were insulting Jesus. And it says, in the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So you've got these two guys that were getting crucified. I mean, um, interesting though, because that's, and then we read the account, the same account in Luke. And, because, and it seems like at some point, one of these men had some change of heart. Because in Luke 23, 39, it says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal must have had a change of heart. Said, first of all, he was busy insulting Jesus, but something's changed. And like, I mean, I can imagine if I had nails through my hands, I'd be like tempted to be like kind of screaming, kind of, you know, at everyone. The other criminal rebuked the first one. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man, a convicted criminal, convicted of something that justified him being crucified, and the pain of having nails through his hands and feet. He starts off abusing Jesus, then sees something and changes. Changes, and he turns to Jesus as, as this other criminal was dying. And his last act was one of repentance. And in that place, Jesus, revealing God's heart to people, says, you are welcome in God's house forever. God forgives everything. You know, he's insulting Jesus dying on the cross and then he has this change of heart and then Jesus says, of course you're welcome. Whatever you have done, listen to this in Psalm 103. Verses 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. His forgiveness is for all of us, whatever you have done, if you ask. Here's another misconception about God. That God will take care of all my problems. 
You know, some people, they read the Bible and they've sort of interpreted it to say that, well, financial blessing and good health and well-being, it's all the will of God for me. And uh, it's the entitlement of God's people. And I've developed whole theologies. It's like you, it's, people call it the prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel. And it's a misconception. They'll often say things like, if you, if you give money, God will give you back even more. Guaranteed. Like God is some kind of supernatural vending machine. You just put something in and out pops a brand new car or, or a miraculous healing or you know, a win for your favorite sports team. Um, just it's just not true. If you expect God to take care of all of your problems, your faith will head for a crash. And Jesus never promised that God would take care of all your problems. What he promised was that he would be with you in everything that comes your way. He would be with you. And his promise too is that in the next life, all pain, all suffering, death will be, will be done away with and we'll live and glory forever. Last one for today. I'm just looking at the time there. So that, um, again, a misconception about God is that God doesn't get involved. There's another prayer from a seven-year-old Billy. Dear God, how come you did all those miracles in the old days and don't do any now? You know, our prayers don't get answered. I, I can't hear God's voice. I don't think God gets involved. You know, some people believe that God set the world in motion at creation, set everything, you know, like wound it up, and then just let it, let it go, and he just doesn't get involved anymore. I'll just leave you to it. It's called deism, and uh, it's a misconception about God. And, like, I could... I've done a little bit of study. I've done some theological study. I could stand up here and give you a whole theological you know, discussion around uh, why deism is, is not true, is not an accurate um, reflection of God's involvement in the world. But I'm going to tell you a story instead. And uh, there's a lady... I'm going to tell you two or three stories. Um, the lady that uh, called Eleanor Mumford that Jacinda often talks about, she was the, the her and John Mumford were the national directors of the Vineyard Churches in the UK, and they're now like kind of international coordinators, very involved in the Vineyard sort of internationally. And um, so she's into her probably into her sixties, so, so Eleanor. So her son's Marcus Mumford from, Mark, from Mumford and Sons, the band. So um, um, interesting family. So. Um, but I heard her tell a story just this last week. Actually, I was just listening to something she was talking about. She told a story about how um, when she didn't really believe that God was that involved in, um, in things. She was a believer, a Christian. Uh, but she talked about how she anything in the Bible that was a little bit like, odd, like prophecy or healing or speaking in tongues, she just like, oh, I just don't know about all that stuff. Anyway, so, but uh, when she was 31, she contracted meningitis. And uh, obviously not a nasty, nasty thing. And she was talking to her vicar. And her vicar says, why don't we get together in our little group that I have and we could pray for you. And her, she talks about it. And her thinking, she's thinking like, oh, okay. So um, what's going to happen is like they're going to want me to sit in the middle in a chair. And then they're going to get all their 
like put like probably want to like lay hands on me and like you know the of you know, hands are of dubious cleanliness and you know and putting hands on me and then they're going to they might even like pray in tongues which is weird and um, and she's just talking about all of these things it's just like oh you know they're probably going to invade my personal space and anyway she said well you know okay they prayed for her. she's instantly healed instantly healed and um, and she just goes you know just went from being like I don't think God's that involved in the world to like God's awesome <laughs> God's awesome you know, we just heard recently of um, you know Peter Golther and you know he's had real ups and downs around his health in the last little while around his you know his cancer and there's been in prayer and things that doctors just baffle doctors on the back of that. Great things that have happened with regards to that. Um, wonderful. Even just this last week, we heard that um, we're, for those of you that are on the prayer letter, that uh, Rosie's husband that um, is, has got lung cancer, and uh, we've been praying, and that's like, it's again, it's going backwards, and the doctors can't figure it out. And it's just like, we, we had, um, for those of you that are up at Summer, Summer Escape, we, we heard from. Um, um, Paul, I think he's here somewhere, Paul Frenchman, and he was talking about how like there was a time he was driving and he heard this audible voice of God, pull over, pull the car over. He's like, okay. And then just as he did, this car came around this corner on the, out of control on the wrong side of the road, would have taken him out. You know, it's like, so God gets involved. He doesn't always get involved the way that we want him to. He doesn't always answer prayers the way that we think that he should. Um, but don't so people don't give up on prayer. God gets involved. God gets involved. I just want to finish with this. There's a, a book written by a um, American pastor and author um, last century, A. W. Tozer. Uh, the book's called The Knowledge of the Holy. It was Christianity Today, a famous um, magazine publication. They Rated as one of the top 50 books of the 20th century, Knowledge of the Holy. And I want to read you uh, a little bit from this book because this is uh, it's quite deep, but it's, it's really important. Okay, I need you to concentrate. Um, and like, just apologize in advance. The language is a bit sexist. They sort of weren't you know, that kind of thinking about those things as much back in 1961 when he, when he wrote the book. But listen to this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the greatest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact, I was actually thinking about calling my message this morning the most portentous fact, but then um, I didn't. So, the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. 
just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid. She can never escape the self-disclosure of her witness concerning God. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. I'll read that again. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Sorry. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. What Tozer was saying is that there is nothing more important to us than, than our thoughts about God. And the question I have for you is like in the deepest part of your soul, what do you really believe about God? I read a story just recently of about a man. He just started going to church and, and he was asked, what do you feel is the deepest need in your life? And the man without hesitation replied, I need a new God. What do you mean you need a new God? He went on to explain, during the past few weeks, I've heard that God loves me, that God is for me, that God has the power to help me in my struggles. That's been difficult for me to hear because of what I've known about God from friends, my family background, from a church I went to as a kid. I've thought a lot about what you said. I've read Bible verses about who God is. And the other day it hit me. The reason I have so many struggles, the reason why I have so many unmet needs is because I have the wrong idea about God. I thought of God as being a heavenly policeman who was just waiting for me to mess up. I thought of God as being really far away, very uninterested in my struggles or me. My God has been some conglomerate of my upbringing and my own father and my own church background. My God has not been a God of love or a God who will work on my behalf. I need a new God. And Muhammad Ali, the boxer, he, says, he, he became a, a Muslim. And his reason was, well, I can't accept Christianity. I can't believe in a blonde-haired, uh, blue-eyed God. I'm thinking, well, I don't believe in a blonde-haired, blue-eyed God either. You know, what kind of God do we believe in here? We believe in a God who loves everyone in spite of what we have done or not done. We believe in a God who has given his son Jesus to the world to take the sins of the world on his shoulders so we can be forgiven and free from sin and freed from death. We believe in a God who answers prayer. We believe in a God who is with us no matter what. We believe in a God who is seen in Jesus, his son. And we believe in a God who is present in our lives and in his church by his Holy Spirit, changing lives by his empowering presence. And if you're here today because you want to learn to know God more, we, we just would so hope that you'd join us on this journey. And, uh, and if you're looking at stepping towards knowing God, can I just say that you're on the start of just a wonderful, wonderful journey that's going to lead you into life and truth and joy and peace. It won't always be easy, but it will be good. Just finish with this last quote from a girl called Ashley. She's 10 years old. She says, God is like a never-ending story that you want to read again and again. When I hear about him, I want to know more. Although I can't see him, I feel him. He is perfect and pure. I know he has felt pain and has suffered greatly to take away my sins. Why don't we stand together as we finish?